Well, hello there. It is good to see you again, and welcome back to Through the Wealth Lens. I am your moderator, Ryan Ruff. It's good to be back with you all today. And as always, I'm joined by our host and our star of the show, private wealth advisor over at UBS International, and that's Mr. Hannes Grasher. We're going to be diving into another wealth management-related topic today, as we typically do on the show. And today, we have a returning expert to the show, as well as one of his colleagues, uh, to discuss something that's not often considered by the affluent, but it is absolutely necessary. And it's a you know, it's a big thing that we wanted to touch on today, and that is security among private yachts that are owned by the super wealthy out there. So, Hannes, to you know, kick things off and to start today's conversation, would you be so kind to, to introduce us to our guests and our, you know, our uh, accomplices, if you will, today? Sure, Ryan. And uh, yeah, exactly. I'm I'm very lucky to have Adam join me today for repeat appearance on our podcast. I think he was in our first or second. Uh, and for those who don't remember, um, Adam is a property and casualty insurance expert and the co-founder of AXG Advisors. And I call him our PNC Black Belt. He's an important member of our virtual family office, and we bring him in frequently when we have a more complex property and casualty insurance issue with our ultra high net worth clients. And also with us today is Dominic Sylvester, or Dom a new member of the AXG advisory team. Um, Adam, it's great to have you back and congratulations on getting Dominic on the team. Thanks, Hannes. Uh, I'm happy to be here and uh, happy to have Dominic aboard to provide uh, some of his expertise and his background. Yeah, so today we'll be discussing the importance of security and risk management for mega yachts with a particular focus on cybersecurity. Dom, can you tell us why you're so passionate about this topic given your background? Yeah, sure, Honest. Uh, thank you for having me today, guys, first and foremost. So prior to beginning my journey as a risk advisor for private clients, I was the CFO of a single family office here in Dallas, Texas. And my role is very multifaceted. I was in charge of financial reporting for all the family's personal and property related expenses, paying payroll for the, the various employees, making payments on bills, financial reporting, deal evaluation, and a whole bunch of other things, including managing the finances on the family's yacht. And in this last role and, and, and some overlap with my previous roles, um, I worked really closely with Adam to really make sure that the family was properly protected, that we had everything in place from an insurance perspective so that we're minimizing risk and um, allowing the family to focus on having fun. So pretty much um, whether it was an accident on board, um, you know, building a new home, renovating existing property, buying a new boat, car, toy, whatever it may be, Adam and AXG was there to, to really make sure that things were, were really streamlined and, and um, a seamless process. So that was, that was kind of my, my background and experience um, coming into this new role. And one of my major things was managing the, the family's yacht. And so, um, yeah, definitely very, very happy to be on the on the call today and to be a part of Adam's team over at AXG. Yeah, no, thank you, Dom. I appreciate it. We're, we're glad to have you here. It's obviously talking about yachts today and talking about the security and, and risks involved in, in some of those types of assets. Uh, Adam, I'll throw kind of the first question over to you to, just to get things started. Uh, why would you say it is so important for the ultra affluent out there uh, to conduct cybersecurity audits specifically on properties and other big assets, specifically like a yacht? I know it's the, the focal point of today's conversation, but those big assets in general? Sure. Um, super easy. Uh, insurance by nature is reactive, right? Something happens, 
and we have an insurance claim and insurance comes in to backstop the loss or indemnify for the loss. Cybersecurity in the insurance industry is probably one of the newest niches inside the, the, the space. And it's trying to be reactive, but what we've found that's better than having an insurance product to respond to an event is being extremely proactive because it's easier to prevent a loss from happening than to react to a loss. Um, sure, if you have a fraudulent wire transfer go out for $100,000, yes, insurance can cover that, right? But a lot of time it's not that direct. It's someone hopped on the family server, there could have been data loss, privacy issues, um, all kinds of other stuff, rebuilding the family database. So being proactive in this sense is far better than being reactive with an insurance policy. So having the foresight to do an assessment, to review the family's exposures, and it could be anything. It could be, hey, we have kids on devices that are maybe connecting to public Wi-Fi, or in the event of a specific incident we'll probably get into, we have a bunch of crew members on a boat who are at different ports all over the world, connecting to public Wi-Fi on devices that have access to the email server for the family. Um, to you know, someone who's running, you know, now that we're post-COVID, uh, people that are running, you know, a hedge fund from their family or the managing the finances from their of their family office from their home server, um, all those things much better to be proactive than reactive. So the assessment is is necessary to better understand what the exposure is and be proactive in preventing a breach. Dom, so when we just to get back on that, when we talked earlier, you shared that you have a firsthand experience with a cyber attack on a private yacht. Um, can you share a bit about that experience? I think it's a really good lesson. Sure, yeah. So when I was running that single family office I had brought up earlier, I was in charge of the financial operations for the family's yacht. And coming from a background of being a certified public accountant, working at PwC or for a large big four firm, I came with a risk management mindset and, and um, you know, really wanted to make sure that we had good controls in place, which we did. Uh, my principal was very risk-minded uh, risk um, and, and really making sure that things were, were properly taken care of. We had things like segregation of duties that required you know, two people in order to send a wire. And we really just had a very straightforward process. Uh, when, when we would get an invoice, I would evaluate it, make sure that the dollar amounts, the um, you know, the, the payment information was, it looked okay. And, um, and also follow up with the crew member that, that made the purchase to make sure that we were actually paying for something that we actually bought. Uh, we, we saw a lot of, of fake invoices just sent to emails. And, um, you know, sometimes crew members, because they're so busy, they don't really have time to sit down and take a look at whether or not it's a valid expense. So that was kind of what, what my job was to kind of slow things down, make sure that we were properly making payments. And then also just making sure that everything was documented appropriately. You know, one of the things that we, we always wanted to be able to do is if our principal had a question about an expense, to be able to immediately pull that up, show the supporting documentation, payment, et cetera. Um, so yeah, so that was that was kind of the gist of our, our process and platform there. But um, you know, one of the things we didn't really think about and exposed us was that we had eight crew members that had, they're from all over the world, 
right? So sometimes they would rotate off and they would go home on vacation. So they're still accessing their email on their personal device for the for our, our email server and they got fished, right? So, um, and, and for those who don't know what phishing is, it's, it's when you receive one of those fake emails and you click on a link and then type in your password and username, then, then you essentially just give them your credentials. So when, and, and to get back to kind of like the, the understanding, all of this boils down to social engineering. And, and really it was about taking advantage of someone who was under immense pressure and had a lot on their plate and was just trying to get through the day. And so, you know, like I said, you're kind of running around making a lot of, a lot of um, doing a lot of activities. But yeah, so that, that's kind of the gist there. And then Dom, that actually resulted in some um, in some mistakes or some money was what you I think you mentioned something that's money was wired out or yeah yeah so so what ended up happening Hannes was that we received a phishing email the one of our engineers had accidentally clicked on it thought it was a legitimate um, request to change their password they put in their information and then the hacker was able to access their entire email threads. And so what they were able to do is go through and see who was the boss, who was in charge of making any disbursements, and essentially figure out that I was the one initiating um, wire requests. So I would I would message my accountant with all of the payment information, and and they would verify and then send it off. And so they were able to kind of figure out that our process was pretty simple, um, and and it would be for any company, right? And, and what they ended up doing was they found that my email at the time um, was, was for my, my personal investment management firm. And they just changed one character. So if it was capital, they, they removed the I and it was capital.com. And unless you're looking at the actual email, you're never going to see it, right? So that's what ended up happening. And we ended up, um, so what they ended up doing was they bypassed me. They created that fake email and then emailed the request to send wires to my accountant to initiate the wire. And we, we ended up losing over $70,000 in, in this process. And, you know, fortunately we were able to cut the bleeding or, you know, stop the bleeding a bit by um, my accountant reaching out to me because we had such a lean process and said, look, I don't have any more money to send these wires. And I, I was like, what wires? <laughs> And that's when immediately we went into damage control mode. So, and and in that instance, Dom, what what did damage control look like for you guys? How do you work through that and and kind of like you said, stop the bleeding? So, and then obviously put put measures in place so that it, you don't go down that road again. Sure. Yeah. So immediately we went into you know, are we exposed? Is there a mole? <laughs> I know that sounds kind of crazy, but is this an inside job? Right. So I had to immediately go into kind of okay, who's safe? Well, like, how do, how do we navigate this? I immediately called our IT technician and Adam, uh, me actually, Adam was the first person because I, I had no idea what to do. And, um, so called, called those guys. We had pretty much a war room set up where Adam was handling all the insurance capacity. He was introducing me to various vendors that could help kind of remediate, figure out what was the root cause of the issue. How do we fix it moving forward? But also being able to lock down our systems right now and figure out what 
what issues were um, or what what data could have been could have been leaked. And then in addition to that, it was getting our IT team in there, making sure that we factory reset all of the passwords on the email accounts, shut off, force signed off everybody, and then immediately installed multi-factor authentication for all devices to make sure that if somebody was signing in, they needed to at least have the device um, that that uh, would provide a secure login code. I can imagine that was quite a hectic time then, Dom. Uh, what's since you guys had gone through and had that learning experience in that process? Uh, you know, have you had any other similar instances pop up like that, or uh, you know, or maybe uh, maybe somebody has tried and you snuffed it out this time around because you put measures in place, anything like that? Sure. Yeah. So we fortunately we haven't had another experience like that since, um, but it, it did really make us aware of of the vulnerabilities. And that's something that we carry on with all of our clients moving forward is just making sure that if they do have extra domestic employees or if they have a yacht, especially a yacht, making sure that they have the correct security protocols in place, that they have, um, if, if they're using a certain platform, that they have the correct settings on there so that they're not going to be exposed. But then also it's just, it's, it's great from just an overall risk management perspective just to, to carry that on. Sure, sure. And and kind of switching gears, though, Hannes, you know, this type of attempted fraud, uh, I would imagine it's become quite common in today's day and age, especially in the financial world, uh, where, you know, scammers are trying to steal funds from clients. And but when you're on a yacht, uh, I would imagine your guard might be down a little, right? The sunshine, you know, the, the fresh air, you know, you're enjoying a luxury, frankly. Uh Hannes, in your experiences, would you be able to share any steps that you guys take uh, from more, you know, the financial world perspective at, you know, UBS International to prevent this type of fraud, with, you know, and having clients go through that? Yeah, Ryan, you're absolutely right. I mean, we've had some, I mean, the, the amount of uh, attempts to defraud the bank or clients, is, it's just unbelievable. Um, so we've had to put in some really strong measures and we review five general steps with clients to take, um, that they should take to prevent becoming victims of cyber scammers. As, as Adam said, we try to prevent it rather than fix it afterwards. The first is what, um, what uh, Dom just mentioned is multi-factor authentication and unique passwords when they log into different systems. And often hackers will try to log in information obtained from one source on another source, like passphrases. A long phrase that's easy to remember but hard to guess is the best course of action when creating a password. Then secondly, we always make sure, always make sure your home and small business networks are secure. Change the default administrator password of the device controlling your wireless network and enable encryption on your router. And then third, harden your devices. This means reducing vulnerabilities in the security of your devices, whether that's via applications from trusted sources, keeping systems up to date, using data, in public instead of public Wi-Fi and avoiding, you know, plugging USB devices into your computer. And fourth, back up all your important files, right? You can do this on a secure cloud and manually via an encrypted hard drive. And then finally, be alert to social engineering. Dom just mentioned it, right? Meaning manipulated video and audio. I mean, some of the stuff you're seeing now is, is just, it's amazing, right? So. If you're suspicious about someone you've spoken to, it's always better to be cautious than brush it off as nothing.
Yeah, no, absolutely, Hannes. I appreciate you sharing those five points and, and kind of shifting gears back towards the yacht side of things. Dom, when we, you know, a yacht is such a unique asset, but there's a lot of moving variables that go into that significant asset that the ultra affluent utilize. What steps would you say can be taken then to prevent something like this happening to anybody else out there on a private yacht specifically? Any strategies yacht related? Yeah, sure. So I think the biggest thing is making sure that you're doing regular audits and and making sure that all of your security systems are are buttoned up. If you have any new software or new new um, new devices on board that they that they're hardened to to Hannes's point, and then just making sure that even in addition to the yacht. Um, that your employees are trained on what phishing attempts look like. Uh, there's, there's really a lot of ways that you can even do phishing attempt training on your own. Um, and so that, that's been one of the really interesting things that I've recommended and, and our IT vendor has also recommended. Um, you know, the, the other component is just making sure your passwords are being changed on a fairly frequent basis, that they're strong, meaning that they're, they're longer, they have different characters, whether they're you know, alphabet, or alphabetical, um, you know, numeric, so alphanumeric plus any of the unique characters, right? You know, I think everybody uses the exclamation mark. <laughs> That's their default, but making sure that you have some form of, of alternative uh, character in there. And then the other thing is just making sure that if you have anybody that's making bill pay on your behalf, so if anybody has access to your utility bills, your credit card statements, whatever it may be, make sure that their email is secured, right? The same recommendations we've already made with multi-factor authentication and strong passwords. I mean, a lot of this stuff is common sense, but um, at the same time, unless you experience this type of thing, there, there's, there's definitely a, a need to get, make sure that these things are in place. Yeah, those are great tips, Dom. And Adam, what should someone do if they suspect that they have been the victim of a cyber attack? It depends on what kind of cyber attack it is, right? If you if you think that your email address has been hacked, if you think your Instagram has been hacked, those are both different examples of a cyber attack. So the best thing to do is make your advisor network aware um, and immediately try to reclaim it the easiest way. Like Dom said, 2FA is until they, you know, develop a new method of attacking and beating 2FA, two-factor authentication is, you know, wonderful. It's fantastic. It's very hard to breach. Um, but there's all, all kinds of other social engineering cyber claims that can happen. Um, it, it's, it really depends on what the, what the breach is. But if it is, if you have a proactive, if you've been proactive and you have a, you know, third-party vendor who's monitoring, I mean, the majority of all of our clients who are ultra high net worth, we're sort of mandating that they have at least the go through the process of evaluating with a third party vendor. And a lot of our clients actually hire one of these vendors to monitor all the devices. So they have real time monitoring of every device in the household, all the uh, servers, all the network connections, and they can actually alert you to, to a breach or an exposure. Um, but if something happens, you just have to talk to people. You have to say, hey, I'm locked out of this. I think someone stole my, pa my password. And then depending on the parameters of what's happened, there's usually an easy way to get it back. But that's not always the case, right? In this instance, it was very easy for Dom to secure the server, 
to, to lock out other people. But that didn't even matter because he already had access to all the emails that existed. He already knew what the wire template looked like. And he had actually what's called type, it's called typo squatting, just created an email that looked like what Dom's was and was sending it to people. So there's no way to prevent that guy who now has this template and a wholly different server address from emailing everyone in Dom's contact list to go, hey, send me money. And if, you know, just throwing a, casting a wide net and seeing if what, what, what will happen with that. So if you ever get a wire request, if you ever get an ACH request, a password reset request, think about at the onset, if Dom's accountant was able to reach out and go, hey, can you confirm this wire amount? Totally avoided from start one, right? But they didn't have that process in place. And for the last three years, this has been such an issue, but more so now, now we're seeing people are, are, are hip to it. So I sent out an invoice the other day for a large amount of money. I sent the wire transfer instructions and everything. And they called me and said, hey, Adam, just wanted to confirm the email, wanted to confirm the account numbers. And I was like, hey, super responsible of you. I love it. Uh, you know, but it's, it's nice to see that people are now catching on and there isn't really a process yet that can beat a lot of these things as long as you're proactive about it. So sorry for being long-winded there, but. Mm -hmm. No, and just to jump in, Adam, I mean, that's, that's exactly what we do. And we've done that for many years now. Um, we do voice recognition, right? We know our clients, we know what they sound like. So when we get a wire, we have to call them back, confirm it. And then there's an additional step where they have to have a conversation with compliance who then generates a number that's sent to their device. They have to call us back and give us that number. And, uh, you know, and then, then we send out a wire. So yeah, just, uh, as an, as an add on. Yeah, no guys, this is a great dialogue today. I mean, a lot of value I think we're leaving for and considerations, frankly, for a lot of folks out there. Uh, you know, I want to double click on a, on a concept that we had touched on a little earlier and that's, uh, insurance coverage particularly. So, so, now that we know cyber coverage really is important for these high value assets like a yacht in today's example, what other coverages, Dom, I'll throw this question over to you then. Uh, what other coverages would you recommend that yacht owners should, should typically need and, and be, and do you maybe have like a story or two that might illustrate any, any of those reasons why they might need a coverage in the first place? Yeah, sure. So Adam, feel free to jump in. Right. Um, but pretty much the major categories for yacht coverages are the property, um, so that's like things like the hull, which is like the, the outer component of the boat, personal contents, fine art, the protection and indemnity side. So just like your liability. So if you hit someone, um, one of your crew members hit, hit someone on accident, um, that that would be in that general vicinity. And then war risk, which is one that I, I didn't really know about prior to being in this world of yachting, but it, it is a major one to consider. So Pretty much the property and casualty are similar to what you'd have at your home with your homeowner's policy or with your auto policy. Same, same kind of concept. Um, on, the, on the property side itself, you have the vessel that I was mentioning, any kind of personal watercraft. So if you have jet skis, if you have any of the sea uh, bobs or any other devices, and then um, your personal property. So things like your clothes, because you got to have clothes on the yacht. Well, some people do. Um, fine art, you know, uh, other belongings and of that nature. And then, um, you know, the, the, it also would include things like damage to the hull of the watercraft. And then, um, you know, other things that are, are more so the physical component on the liability side, you have what we call P and I or protection and indemnity. 
this is the same thing that you'd have in your auto policy. If you hit somebody, if you're, if you're responsible for the accident, your liability kicks in and, and makes, makes, uh, makes that person whole. So in, in the yachting space, it covers pretty much if the yacht hits another boat, if it comes, if it hits another piece of property, if it's in the marina and it, and it damages, um, you know, some of the, the pilings there, that's where this would kick in. And there's a bunch of other services too, right? So like, you gotta think what, what, what happens on a boat or wh who's on the boat, right? So you have any kind of medical coverage or accidental coverage for the, the guests on board, you're going to have medical coverage for the crew members, right? I mean, this, these boats are, are kind of dangerous, right? Uh, you know, there's a lot that can happen on a boat. Um, I, I have a story I'll, I'll share with you guys here in a little bit, but realistically, you know, there, there's a lot of different components, but as long as you're making sure that you're talking with your, your insurance agent, making sure you have proper protection in place, you know, really it, it's just about making sure that you have that adequate coverage for your, your risk tolerance. For sure. For sure. No, that's a good point to mention. And Adam, anything to pepper in there? Uh, I mean, it, it's it, the yachting world is, you know, it's such a large space. I mean, you could talk about people that have a 65 foot boat that never leaves the coastline versus, you know, a 185 foot boat that goes annually to the Mediterranean um, and travels the world. Um, the most important thing is to really do an evaluation. A lot of the time, like you would do with cyber insurance is you, you come out and you say, how do I want to run the vessel? I did this exercise with Dom when he first came onto the family office. Do you have a third party that's providing crew, payroll? Um, where are the exposures? How do they exist? And what do we want to cover? And what's our risk appetite? Because realistically, you have to cover the whole, right? The whole is the value of the boat. And then the protection and indemnity, you should really get as much as you can get. But, some, but a lot of time it falls liability jumps onto the umbrella for the client, or if it's through, you know, a UK market, sometimes you have like $200 million in PI just out of the gate. Um, but it's really just about evaluating it, how you want to run the boat. Are you going to charter it? Are you going to, you know, have rotating captains, rotating crew? Um, what kind of private watercraft vessels, tenders are you going to have? Are you going to tow the tender? Is it going to be in South Florida during hurricane season? All that fun stuff. So, um, you know, Aside from a boats being very dangerous, as uh, Dom said, um, they're also really bought for our clients for the experience, not necessarily to deal with the cost and the aggravation that comes with owning a boat. So it's our job really to make sure that the experience is what our clients are getting and that we've taken all the worry and the heavy lifting off their plate by creating this strategy that everyone's in agreement and alignment with for the operation of the vessel as it relates to the risks. Sure, sure, absolutely. And, and Dom, you alluded to a story that may have kind of illustrated the importance of coverage. You mind sharing that with us before we wrap up here? Yeah, sure. So, you know, one of the challenges that you come across when you're when you're reprovisioning the vessel is that sometimes the boat is not perfectly aligned with the dock itself, and so there's a little bit of a gap, right? And so you have to you have to step on this this crossing um, this crossing platform. And if that platform is not perfectly aligned, it can cause the, the individual to fall off. Right. And, and in that case, we saw that happening. Um, we were, it was, <laughs> there was a, a lot of crazy events that led up to this. Um, I ended up flying to Italy to get a part for this vessel. 
and and we were so excited because finally the the boat was going to be able to be used and and our principals really excited about getting on it again and so everybody was was you know really excited really working really hard to get underway so that they can get this trip and they were reprovisioning late at night i think it was about midnight when they were when they were getting back to the boat and one of our crew members was going back to the truck just to make sure everything was okay and that they had everything taken out he was coming back he when he stepped on the platform it slid and he ended up falling in between the boat and the dock and he broke his his hand he was a chef so snapped his middle finger in half um we had a we, fortunately we had crew members out on the on the bow and they were able to see what happened fish him out everything was okay uh, but immediately we went into damage control mode with that too like okay we need to leave <laughs> we need to leave him in miami so that he can get his hand fixed and and repaired and and, and heal but also we have to leave and so we, we went into all these crazy things and fortunately we found a hand surgeon in the area that that we knew from a, a friend of a friend type of arrangement and, and we were able to get him, him uh, made whole but i mean these things just they happen they're inherent right you have a moving a moving boat and uh and there's a lot of things to do so yeah that, that's the that's one one story there's many more that was that was another incident where it was i got a phone call at some point really early in the morning about a crew member had lost a finger, uh, which I think was initially the reaction. Um, but, you know, same thing. It's just, like I said, it's dealing with all kinds of wild stuff on a day-to-day -day -day basis. And then re responding to it in the way that we've already agreed to per the plan that we've put in place. Mm -hmm. So that's the, you want to go full circle on that? We, we knew what the coverages were. We understood what we had to do at the time. And we had already agreed upon it. So it's just about executing. And that's the most important part when you have any of these assets that have so many different exposures and you know moving pieces to it is that you have a plan. So when something happens, you can just execute the plan and no, there's no confusion. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a, a little bit of just, uh, just a sense of security knowing that the plan's in place given the wild spectrum of issues that can happen at sea or at a dock, even in your instance, Dom. Uh, I appreciate you sharing that story. It's a really good one. Gentlemen, as we're, as we're kind of bringing our conversation to a head here today, uh, look, we've covered a lot in regards to the risks that are out there, both cyber and just apparent risks when, you know, when dealing with a big asset like a yacht. Uh, Hannes, for anybody out in the audience who, you know, let's say this conversation resonates with them, maybe they themselves have a yacht or maybe they know of somebody that could benefit from just listening to a conversation like this, and maybe they're interested in, in reaching out, opening up a dialogue, whether that's with you, Hannes, or via you. To, to talk with Adam and Dom here today, uh, what would be the best way they can get in touch with you and your team to, like I said, just open up that dialogue? Sure. As always, they can reach us directly by calling us at 212-713-8952 or just sending us an email at hannes.grasher at ubs.com. And then, um, or reach out directly to Adam or Don. Um, and Adam, you want to throw out your email real quick and, and Dom so they can uh, get in touch with you. Sure. It's our, our emails are easy. It's Adam or Dom 
at axg-advisors.com or you can call us at 561-867-1166. Fantastic, gentlemen. I appreciate you all. Look, you guys are busy. We'll let you get back to serving your clients like you do best, but uh, I appreciate you carving some time out of your day to jump on and uh, dive into this really interesting topic that I don't, again, you know, I said at the beginning of the show, but it it really is a topic that I don't think too many people are, are getting down in the weeds of and talking about those different elements of coverage that you might need and the different considerations cyberly or cyber related that is uh, that have to go with a big asset like a yacht. So thank you, gentlemen. Uh, Looking forward to uh, maybe having you back on another one down the road. Appreciate it. Thanks, Thomas. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, guys. Of course, of course. And hey, look, folks, we want to take one final moment, as always, and say thank you, of course, to you for stopping by and being with us here on the show today. If you took anything away from today's discussion, you benefited from it in any way, shape, or form, go ahead and hit that subscribe button then on whichever platform you checked us out on today. That way you never miss out on another great conversation between Hannes, myself, one of our guests, where we unpack another wealth management-related topic. Before Hannes, for Adam and Dom, I'm Ryan. We're going to go ahead and say so long, but we appreciate you stopping by and being with us on Through the Wealth. This communication is intended to be used for educational purposes only and does not constitute a solicitation to purchase any security, insurance, or advisory service. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. An investment in any security involves significant risks, and any investment may lose value. Refer to all risk disclosures related to each security product carefully before investing. This commentary is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be relied upon as investment advice or the basis for making any investment decisions. The views and opinions expressed may not be officially those of UBS Financial Services Incorporated and the firm does not verify nor guarantee the accuracy or completeness of the information presented. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services Incorporated offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC registered broker dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that clients understand the ways in which we conduct business, that they carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to them about the products and services we offer. For more information, please review the PDF document at UBS.com slash relationship summary.